1: is so much happening behind the scenes in this sport and it should be fall camp getting ready to open but no we've got all kinds of stuff happening now you know me i want to talk about football but if there's conference realignment here and if there's scandal over there and if there's an unmuted laptop to my right we're going to talk about it and we are jam-packed high atop a pulsating downtown nashville tennessee to do just that late kick is live it is sunday night july 30th the year of our lord 2023 camps are already opening and we are going to absolutely blow out coverage of that over the next month. I've got unpredictable teams, at least five of them to talk to you about tonight. Auburn, and more importantly, Hugh Freeze, triggering everyone in the South yet again. Some people are shocked. I would argue you shouldn't be. And maybe if you watch the show in November and then again in January, you're not. Um, we have a chalice of supremacy full of a uh, questionable liquid here on the desk. That's not Texas Kool-Aid, but a lot of people are drinking Texas Kool-Aid. Is it okay? Is it safe to drink Texas Kool-Aid? Well, I have taken a sip or two, and I'm going to let you know my review tonight on the show. We got what ifs, we got bold predictions, got a lot to talk about. Seymour, Illinois is tuned in. Austin, Texas, Raleigh, North Carolina, Long Beach, Mississippi also tuned in. Let me just get a real, real down-to-earth request to you right quick. The channel is really, really pushing 200,000 subscribers, the YouTube channel. I'd love to get there before kickoff. I'm not going to incentivize it. You're adults. We're all adults here, although I do appreciate our sub 18 demographic. Legally, I cannot claim you. And so, for the adults in the room, let's just peer pressure five of our friends this week and get subs to the channel. And that's all I need from you. Thank you. Uh, we're doing great, though, so I appreciate it. Let's talk. Just you and I, just a second tonight unpredictable teams in this sport. Someone asked me this the other day, and I said, I'm going to save that for the show Sunday night. I think Texas A&M, for my money, is the most unpredictable teams, or one of the most unpredictable teams in college football this year, and their over-under win total is 8.5. So basically, odds makers have said the same thing. They've said, we're going to throw out 8.5. We really understand that could mean six wins. That could mean 10 wins. If we simulate their season 100 times, it probably lands on 8 or 8.5. Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino is something that if you follow this sport year round like we do, you're tired of talking about. I'm tired of talking about it. Uh, The rest of the casual crowd that's just coming back to the watering hole is just now starting to talk about it. I imagine every day there is someone somewhere that treats this sport as seasonal that's just now realizing, wait a second, Fisher hired Hoomst? Petrino? That's not going to work. And you're over there like... (sighs) Yeah, we know. Well, do we know? This is what makes them very unpredictable. Now, our buddies over there at TechSAGs, they essentially run College Station. I saw Billy Lucci and company. They had Jimbo up on stage at, I think, their launch party, their seasonal launch party. And he gave a really good, really in-depth answer. I didn't ask Lucci to license the footage, so I'll just paraphrase. Someone, it was Lucci, who asked him, Jimbo Fisher being on stage, about Bobby Petrino. And he was talking about how familiarity was really, really key in hiring him. And he got a little more technical. He got a little more in the weeds. He talked about, for example, how um, injury at the tight end position last year really zapped a lot of what they could do just from a blocking standpoint. And I know that no one thinks about that. If you're not an A&M fan, you look at that team from 50,000 feet. I'm partially guilty of that as well. And you just drop the old, well, don't complain about the labor pains, just show me the baby. I don't advise saying that in the delivery room per se, but figuratively in the football world, people say it a lot. And so anyway, maintain health. That's a key for everyone. If, if you hired an offensive coordinator here and your familiarity is, is something that pays off and your talent is realized, Texas A&M could be a 10-win team or better. Uh, there is certainly a path there where their offensive line, where there are questions that they have confidence in, but still questions pans out. That defensive line's loaded with talent. If, if you have synergy offensively, that certainly means Connor Wegman as a quarterback has lived up to the potential that saw him get offers from pretty much everyone out of high school. If all that happens, that's a double digit win team. It's a team that has the potential, excuse me, to be a double digit win team. But there's also that scenario for total non-improvement. There's the scenario where none of that works out. It's all just something that looks good You know, boom, on a piece of paper, but they don't play games on paper. And then it's just like a mushroom cloud over the program by November again. And if that happens again, then I think we're having a much more uncomfortable conversation in December. Miami in the ACC is an equally interesting and, dare I say, unpredictable team because I am wildly unsure of how quick the new coordinator hires will start to gain traction in terms of on-field results sometimes you hire a new coordinator or you hire a new coach or whatever the case may be. Maybe you get a big true freshman class in the house and things are paying off behind the scenes, but you have to wait a year for it to pay dividends in the win-loss column. Well, we haven't waited a year. We've got Lance Guidry in there as the new defensive coordinator. We've got Shannon Dawson. We did a great 30 plus minute sit down with him that's still on the YouTube channel where he started to break down his offense a little bit, albeit from a surface level, which I asked him to do. Uh, how quickly will that pay off? Now, here's the good news, and it's going to sound like bad news, but I think it's kind of good news. With Miami, they were terrible last year. I think, aside from the Georgia Tech game, I don't think they topped 24 points against any Power Five competition, which is, it's so bad, it's actually a good thing, which sounds convoluted. What I mean by that is, it almost is too bad, which means there was just something systematically that had to be flushed And if you're a Miami fan, you hope that that was the offensive coordinator. Josh Gaddis was down there. He's not there anymore. And you look at your talent. I'm not saying they've got the most stacked roster in the conference or college football or even, I don't know, maybe the state of Florida. They're a whole lot better than that, though. And that quarterback is a whole lot better than that, I know, because we saw it the year before. So if we have a new offensive coordinator in there that just does the simple stuff right, that just puts guys in position to make plays, it's so easy to say that. I would be such a great offensive coordinator if we didn't actually have to call plays. Uh, if just that happens, and then you have defensive improvement, which can't get worse than last year, yeah, there's this path where they could go nine wins this year. That would be really good for Miami. Their over-under win total is seven and a half. Offensive line should be massively upgraded for them this year. That's what they were the most excited about when I was down there uh, two months ago now. Time all runs together. Quarterback just give me a healthy Tyler Van Dyke and give me competent offensive coordinator service. And that should be better. And the energy around the program is always high in the, in the summer, in the spring. I know that. But Miami is one of those teams could go wildly either way. Those results could fluctuate wildly this year. I think the same thing about Wisconsin in the Big Ten. I think that's one of the more unpredictable teams this year. I did not play it on the show, but I sat down with Luke Fickle the other day new head coach at Wisconsin. Again, picture that casual in your social circle who likes to, I don't know, go check out tennis in spring, likes to get some golf in. That's fine. And the first that they check back in on college football is around this time of year. Do they know? Are they aware that Luke Fickle has gone from Cincinnati to Wisconsin of all places? I got a full interview with him on the YouTube channel, but I want to play you part of it here in just a second because listen. You know Wisconsin football the same way I do, and it's been a bowling ball of an offense for about 500 years, and all of a sudden we got a new guy who comes in there who we thought would never leave for a job other than Ohio State or the NFL, and he takes the Wisconsin job, and then he goes and hires who? He goes and hires Phil Longo as his offensive coordinator, and he goes and gets Tanner Mordecai and more pieces out of the portal. So I wanted to know, not from a preview magazine, but from the horse's mouth there, what's this offense going to look like? What is Wisconsin football moving forward? Roll it, Colin. Basically, every one of us who grew up on college football, we know Wisconsin as pretty much the same thing. And now I look at it and I wonder, all right, well, how much of that is maintained and then how much of it when I watch Wisconsin this fall and in the coming years will make me say, wow, that's Wisconsin. Yep. I want to ask you, where, is,
0: <laughs> where are things headed? We'll have to just see about that. Uh, it'll look different. I mean, we all hopefully understand that and brace ourselves for that it definitely looks different uh, but I don't think when you really get down to it the brass tacks of things that it's that much different it's still about the game it's one up front it's still about the big guys um, yes it might be a little bit more balanced you know if, if Wisconsin in the past had been you know a little bit balanced more run than pass it might be the same thing um, pass to run but it's going to be balanced it's going to be physical. It's going to start with the ability to be able to run the football. It's just going to be in different ways.
1: I would be so excited if I was a Wisconsin fan right now. And if I worked in the Big Ten office, I'd be excited there too. I think it's an underrated roster uh, that can be utilized properly when adding transfer portal pieces, especially at quarterback and on the perimeter end, like they've done. Excellent portal moves here. We'll talk more about that later. Luke Fickle's a stud head coach. I'm still surprised that he's at Wisconsin. It's not disrespect to them. I just thought the list was like microscopically short when it comes to the the places that he would leave Cincinnati for. And I thought maybe NFL would be one of them. This is a beyond a grand slam. Whatever the five-run home run is, that's what they hit there. And then he goes and gets Phil Longo as his offensive coordinator. I was looking at their schedule earlier, and oh man, Colin and I are in lockstep. Whew. Wow. Colin never appears in my ear during the show, but even he just made a comment in my ear. I appreciate it. So think about this. If you're listening on podcasts, think about the schedule. You tell me where they are the big double-digit underdog. They've got Iowa at home. Uh, They've got at Illinois. They got Ohio State at home. That one's a double-digit spread. That's uh, about a two touchdown, uh, somewhere between 10 and 14 points is where that figures to be. At Indiana, Nebraska, at Minnesota. My point there is they could lose every one of those games they could go one, two, three, four, they could go five and one against that list. It's a really unpredictable team. I think it is the perfect recipe for a ton of close back and forth one possession games. Think Nebraska over the last few years, just maybe them winning more than the one possession games than losing them. Let's go all the way out to the West Coast. I need to talk to you about friend of the program, Chip Kelly, and I need to talk to you about his team, UCLA. They lost Dorian Thompson Robinson been a quarterback there for a long time. They lost their top three pass catchers. Not ideal. However, they added Dante Moore, five-star quarterback, got him to flip from Oregon. Huge, monumental acquisition. I'm also going to talk about UCLA and the portal later in the show, but also speaking of the portal, they went and got Carson Steele, who frankly sounds like a kid that should be playing in the south of the northeast because he transferred from Ball State He's a running back who I think had to leave his pet alligator behind. Grishy, isn't that right? So it, yeah, prayer sent uh, for both Carson and the Gator. I'm sure they'll be reunited down the road. I love the moves they made. I don't like them. I love the moves they made. Now, you know, if you don't already know, let me tell you, the Pac-12 could be a total knife fight, just total meat grinder this year. Not in a sense that they have seven or eight playoff contenders out there. And I know that, the majority of college football is busy worrying about whether that conference will even exist as a power unit or a power conference a few years from now. I don't even know the answer to that. But I'm telling you, in the meantime, really good product on the field this year. UCLA smack dab in the middle of that top five or six that have, you know, roughly comparable odds to win the conference or at least have a shot to. Their over under win totals eight and a half. Now, if you normally lose a multi-year starter at quarterback and you haven't been recruiting in the top ten, and you're UCLA, let's just state it like it is, chances are you're expected to fall off a cliff and you're going to be the victim in a lot of those close games or you're going to be the victim, you're going to be the one that totes the L in a lot of that competitively balanced league. Well, what if, what if the quarterback depth they got behind Dante Moore shines or what if Dante Moore is ready to play as a true freshman or what if he doesn't have to be a star because they got guys like Steele, for example, out of the portal uh, to tote the mail there at running back. I think it could be a sneaky good team. I also think they could just be a victim of being pretty good and not really good because the pretty good, really good gap is the difference between nine and three and six and six out there this year. And the last one I want to touch on, and this one we talked about before, but it's been a couple of months. So I want to remind you, back in the spring, I had producer Jesse just compile all the odds in every conference to win that conference. And when we started looking at the Big 12, we noticed that there was a team that played virtually none of the top teams in the conference and played virtually all of the bottom teams in the conference, and that's Oklahoma State. Now, Oklahoma State sits here with a preseason over-under win total of six. Last year was a disaster for them. I saw them in person, and they got blanked and had about half a hundred hung on them in Manhattan, Kansas. They had a portal exodus. On the surface, it looks terrible. That is not at all the vibe that you get around the program, though. The vibe you get around the program is a lot of the guys we lost, we weren't exactly torn up to see go. We had the worst injury luck we've ever had in the history of this program, Mike Gundy or otherwise, last year. And we also added some pieces out of the portal. And look at our schedule. Now, I'm saying that last part. They don't say that. I'm saying that last part. They have a very, very workable path here. Now, I know good and well, a lot of folks on that schedule also look forward to being able to play Oklahoma State. This is not like talking about Texas or talking about Ohio State, where everyone looks at them and goes, ooh, maybe we got an outside shot. That's probably a loss. No, folks look at Oklahoma State. They expect to beat them. That wouldn't be the first time that program's been treated like that. I just think there is a lot more lingering doubt this year because of how last year ended. Uh, But they have not made a habit of going 500 or worse out there. In fact, they've made a habit of overachieving. I'm very interested to see if a rebound like that can happen again this year. Let's roll merrily along. I see that our live viewership is just surging right along. I appreciate it, guys. I appreciate it. July was great for us behind the scenes, and therefore August is going to be great for us out in front of the curtain. You'll see what I'm talking about soon. Why don't we talk about some what-ifs? Because this has been a very healthy exercise for us all around here. It's just consequence-free it's not official predictions. We just we just you know kind of get to pop the knuckles a little bit and just baselessly and wildly speculate. For example, uh, Patrick leads us off tonight. What if USC does not even play for the Pac-12 title? Hmm. Well, Patrick, I can tell you right up front, the volume of Lincoln-Riley hate would be turned from where it currently sits, roughly nine, to about 11 or 12. That would also be viewed as a regression year one to year two because they made it last year. And I would imagine they're not making it because their defense, to quote Meemaw, could not stop molasses in December again. And if that's the case, and I think I threw out a similar scenario a couple of weeks ago, I think there would be massive defensive staff changes. I don't think Lincoln Riley would be able to avoid that at that point. And so, yeah, you'd have the immediate upfront criticism. I've got this path in my head where if USC does not make the Pac-12 championship game, they make staff moves and they're ultimately better for it, if that makes any sense. So it would not, it would not ease the hurt of 2023 underachievement, but there's this world, it's a narrow path, but there's this world where they underachieve this year And it's almost like it was a a necessary underachievement for Lincoln Riley to pull the lever that a lot of people think he should have already pulled, even at Oklahoma, uh, and especially now out on the West Coast. And so we'll see. We'll see. They are the favorite currently to make the Pac-12 championship and win the Pac-12 championship. Next up. Now, this one's interesting. Sting hit us up. Loved him in his WCW days. Sting said, What if Ole Miss gets top three quarterback play in the sec it's an interesting quarterback time in the sec these sec quarterback times we got spencer sanders who transferred there from oklahoma state we got jackson dart who we figure will be the starter walker howard transferred there from lsu whomstever is the starter let's just say it's jackson dart top three in the sec huh so we got jaden daniels down there i think he was preseason first team all sec you got spencer rattler Over there, multiple Spencers in the conference. By the way, Um, wildly differing opinions on what Joe Milton is going to be. We have no clue who's starting for Alabama, nor does Nick Saban at the moment. Carson Beck, uh, apparently, in my home state of Georgia, they're just assuming 4,000 yards passing minimum from him, and uh, you can go all over the conference. So you know, you get my point there. Top three quarterback play in the SEC for Ole Miss this year would probably be good enough for them to be. Uh, there would be a contender in every game. I don't want to do the win-loss-win-loss win, loss thing. Can't. I, I don't know. You guys do your own thing. We, we don't do that on this show. It just It's a recipe for exposure come December. That's what it is. I like to make as few definitive statements as possible. That's what I like to do. Uh, they've got at Alabama Week 4. If they're getting quarterback play to that degree, they're going to win their first three games. they got at Alabama Week 4, LSU Week 5, and Arkansas Week 6. And then they got the, you, you know, the SEC schedule. They do go to Georgia in the East later in the year. Um, listen, Lane Kiffin's already tied an Ole Miss record, I think, for wins over the past two years. I think he would continue that trajectory. And it's not that I would think Ole Miss is headed to Atlanta necessarily. I'd wonder who they upset along the way. You know, no one's, no one's picking Ole Miss to beat Georgia. People think about Georgia's schedule if they do get upset. In the regular season, and they're saying, oh, that would be Tennessee, right? That would be at Tennessee, second to last week of the year. What if Ole Miss randomly pulls that off? If they're getting that kind of quarterback play, it would at least give them a puncher's chance. So that's, and, and same with Alabama, you know, same with all the other big games they play. Next up, Champaign, Illinois is where we're headed. And JC said, what if Illinois plays for the conference title? Now, initially, you listen to this and say, preposterous. You know how rarely we use that word on the show. It's really not, though. Colin, we got the, do we have anything? Yeah, so they're over under six and a half wins. But the Big Ten championship odds, plus 2,000. So that's what you see. You see, they're not going to, well, they're not going to what? Because the prediction was not win the Big Ten. The prediction is play for the Big Ten title. I'm looking at their schedule right now. You know what Illinois doesn't have on their schedule? Ohio State. You know what else they suspiciously don't have on their schedule? and I'm making Triple sure to scan right now, they don't have Michigan. All they've got to do is make the Big Ten Championship game for this to, to become a reality. The odds over there in the Big Ten West, it's like alphabet soup again. That's what it's looked like in recent history. There's no definitive favorite over there. Illinois had a great season last year. Actually, if they play for the Big Ten Championship, there's the text from Cole Kubelik, right on cue. If they play for the Big Ten Championship this year, you know what I'd start to ask myself? I'd start to ask myself, is that a re-emerging market for Brett Bielema I see out there? What is happening? And then we would also be able to test my other theory about everyone in the Big Ten upping their game and either hiring or keeping high-level head coaches at the Tier 3 schools and the Tier 2 schools. I'm just saying there's a world and you need to get your kids ready for it now. There's a world where if Illinois goes to the Big Ten, championship game, uh, Big Ten Championship game, there is a bidding war for Brett Bielema. You heard me right. A bidding war for Brett Bielema. A classic BBB. Hmm, Hoomst amongst us hasn't been a part of that a time or two. Lastly, on the what-if front, Walker is taking us down a road. We don't want to go down, but we will just know it's on him, not us. Walker said, "What if a Power Five coach gets fired in September?" <sighs> We're taking a turn towards negative town. It's not even August yet. This would be Neil Brown at West Virginia, is my guess. I I I, I hate talking about this stuff. They had big, or they had a Big Twelve Media Days, and he was talking about how disrespectful he thought it was that he was being picked to finish last, and all the talk out there, and. That's fine. I mean, it it's going to be on you to prove it wrong. So if as long as the season's gonna arrive, I really don't care what anyone says in preseason, as long as you have to back it up one way or the other on the field in the fall. Here's what I know. The coaches I talk to that are familiar with the program don't think highly of it. Here's what else I know. I was around Troy when Neil Brown was there, and everyone loved him. So I thought he was gonna do really good at West Virginia. And maybe he just hasn't been given enough time. Like I don't know because it's not a program I'm intimately familiar with. I watch it just like you guys. But here's what I know: this prediction here, a Power Five head coach gets fired before before October, basically. If that were to happen, immediately I'm asking myself, all right, whose seat is already hot? Neil Brown, I think, according to everyone's opinion, would be on that list. Well, I look at their schedule. They open at Penn State. I do not expect them to win that game. They've got Pitt two weeks later. Texas Tech after that, and at TCU, those are three extremely losable games that they have before October gets here. And you know what else they have the first week of October? A bye. And so if you're two and three coming out of September and there's a bye, and we've seen what the coaching market has shifted towards, and that is earlier terminations. It's happened to Scott Frost last year at Nebraska. It happened to Paul Christ at Wisconsin. I don't like seeing it happen to anyone. I don't like talking about it, but if it's going to happen, if we just have that as an ironclad prediction, we have to guess where? My guess would be West Virginia. Happier things at Academy Sports and Outdoors. Uh, I have had the great pleasure to tell you about their Guardian Caps collection. It's not a collection, it's just an item that you can get there. Uh, Everyone is about to start fall camp from Pee Wee all the way up to NFL. Everyone's starting fall camp. Now, the college and pro guys, they pretty much all wear guardian caps uh, because they don't have to buy their own. But if you're in the market and you're playing football and you want to be safer at practice, I'm talking to coaches mainly right now, uh, hit, hit up the Booster Club, get you some funding, and head over to Academy Sports and Outdoors and strap those guardian caps on your players. Reduce impact, reduce temperature in the helmet, all the positives, none of the negatives, exclusively at Academy right now. Now, I know some of you don't have an academy in your backyard yet, We're about to change that for a lot of you this fall. You can just go to academy.com, and they'll be your hookup. They are our hookup. We just spent multiple days in Indianapolis at Big Ten Media Days, and we don't ever have to charge you for the show, and the reason is because of this beautiful bright blue logo over my right and your left shoulder. Our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors always come through for us, and we appreciate them. I think I'll see them on the road a time or ten this fall. Hmm, I think it's a good time to take a sip from the chalice and say hey to all of you watching live, Auburn's done some things. And Colin, that's not your end point. Your endpoint point will be after the sip. Oh, it's happening. <clears throat> so Hugh Freeze took the job at Auburn. A lot of people said a lot of things, including us on this show. And now everyone's shook in the SEC because Hugh Freeze is landing big-time recruits. And some people are shocked. And I, I don't know how many times I have to tell you guys, you can avoid so much unnecessary surprise if you'll just stay tuned in to the show year-round. We never stopped doing the show, and we have talked about this, and I told you once and told you like five other times this was going to happen. And I told you, it, it, don't be surprised when it happens. There was a situation at Auburn before they ever hired him, and I'm going to detail that in just a second. Uh, but when they started landing a bunch of kids out of the portal, It should have been the first sign to you that, hey, that dude in the white t-shirt, what he was talking about when it comes to Auburn and landing talent, looks like they got started early. I wonder if that's going to carry over in high school recruiting. Yes, it is. So here's what's happening, kids. If you haven't been paying attention, let me paper pop it for you. On Wednesday of this week, Demarcus Riddick flipped from Georgia to Auburn. Not Georgia State, not Georgia Southern, University of two-time national champ, Georgia Bulldogs, he flipped. That's a five-star linebacker out of Clanton, Alabama. Then, yesterday, Perry Thompson, four- or five-star, depending on where you look, flips from Alabama to Auburn. Not Alabama A&M, not Alabama State, University of Alabama. Half a dozen national titles in the back pocket of the head coach up there. Um... You can imagine what the internet looked like when this happened. You can imagine the Bama sites. You can imagine the Georgia sites. I have strong fan bases in both enclaves. Therefore, you can imagine what the iJosh looked like. I'm still recharging the battery. I halfway believe the text I got from Cole Kublik is about that, but I'm going to be professional and not answer it on the show. Whew, been a while, huh? Been a while since you guys had to worry about Auburn stealing some of your lunch. Well. Here's what I'd like to say to you. It's not going to slow down. Now, they don't have a top 10 class yet. I can't guarantee you that either of these kids are going to sign with Auburn. We all understand how wild recruiting can be. But it's not going to slow down. They're not going to stop being a threat. And Hugh Freeze is only starting to make noise there. Here's what I'm going to remind you. The same I did when they terminated Brian Harson's contract. And they started their coaching search last November. I remember it vividly because I got a lot of pushback on it. We did a segment on this show, and I said, the Auburn job is one of the most underrated jobs in America. It's one of the toughest ones, but it's also one of the most underrated right now because there was this talking point out in the general market that, oh, no one's going to want that job. B.S., man. Yes, yes, people did want the job. And if they did their due diligence, they really, really wanted the job. And here's why. Because there were a lot of unrealized resources there. What I mean by that is, there were a lot of people with deep pockets who didn't necessarily love the previous regime for whatever reason, and they withheld money because of that. And it was also understood down there that if they got a coach they approved of, or certainly if they got their hand picked coach, all of a sudden they'd come off that hip pocket. And there was, as a result, a massive unnoticed NIL war chest, as I called it, that was just waiting to be seized and then unleashed. By the right coach. Was money a factor in landing Riddick from Georgia? Of course it was. Was money a factor in landing Perry Thompson from Alabama? Of course it was. Is it legal? Absolutely. And therefore, I don't really even get the negative connotation around it. Now, there's an entirely separate conversation you can have. And trust me, it's being had in the most toxic of manners on Twitter and elsewhere right now. And that is, well, are those kids really going to pan out at Auburn? So I'd like to address that now, too. Uh, The most important messaging you do in recruiting is not your fancy graphics. It's not your photo shoot, your promo videos, all that stuff looks awesome. It's the kids you land. That's the most important messaging. Because at Auburn, especially, when you flip a kid from Alabama or you flip a kid from Georgia, you're signifying to the rest of the country that you're a contender against them. You're a challenger to them. Auburn has been once upon a time. They haven't been as of late, and certainly they haven't been perceived to be on the recruiting trail. That goes back before Harson. That's even when Malzahn was there. Malzahn would beat Alabama every now and then. They weren't beating Alabama for kids, though. They were, they were just, they were, I'm not going to say offensive things, but, but they, were, they were getting it done however they could get it done. They were not going man-to-man with them. They, they, weren't, they weren't out-rostering Alabama, and they still won't now. But the difference is, when it comes to the way you're perceived regionally and nationally, you start flipping kids from the two big boys in the conference and have been for the last decade or so, or at least half a decade, if not more, it sends a message. So I look at my eye, Josh, I got dozens and dozens of texts I haven't even opened yet, but they all say a version of this, either from my Bama or Georgia buddies. It's, oh, those kids are going to flame out at Auburn. Let's say they do. It's still a massive win for Auburn because three years from now you won't even remember the kids' names. What you will remember is back when Hugh Freeze was in his first cycle, he flipped a major commit from Alabama, flipped a major commit from Georgia, and then it sent a shockwave that sort of reverberated, and it was felt by every other kid in the class, and it was felt by kids in the 2024, 25, 26 class, and it may have affected another two dozen of them, and the way they think about Auburn, and for all you know, you land five or six other kids per cycle you otherwise wouldn't have landed because of what that signifies. It's not checkers. It, it may not quite be chess, but it is not checkers merely. I think it's a big deal for them. Now, the next thing you have to do is keep them committed. And so I know that I normally, I normally downplay that bit of feedback on the negative side when people say it. Oh, it doesn't mean anything. This doesn't mean anything. I, always, I understand what you guys are saying. Um, I'm not even gonna open that can of worms tonight. I'm just telling you, uh, if you do want to do that, if you're one of my Georgia buddies, if you're one of my Bama buddies, and you want to talk about how they'll be busts, my first question to you is, what'd you want them for? And my second question is, do you understand the impact perceptionally this has, even if neither of them ever start for Auburn? Do you understand what that means? For people to say, Hey, you just beat Kirby for a kid. Hey. Hugh just flipped a kid from Nick Saban. It means the world. It's not an even fight. They have to resort to tactics and methods that you don't have to use in Athens and Tuscaloosa because they're working uphill. You're up there already. They're trying to climb. It's it's not going to be choose your weapon because if you use equal weapons, they will get slayed very, very quickly down there. That's not the position they're in. They understand that. And so look, I think if Auburn is doing exactly what they should do, it will mightily piss off people at Georgia and Alabama. That is exactly what they have to do. Uh, the, the, The last thing in the world you should be doing at Auburn University is competing in a way that makes people at Alabama and Georgia comfortable. That's where I'll leave it. Think you all know what I'm talking about. That's where I'll leave it. So it's not a surprise, at least on this program. It's not a surprise. I know because we've got the videos to prove it, but people tell me that's condescending when I point out when we were right, even though those same people love to point out when we're wrong. So far be it for us to be condescending.
0: Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Next up, man, that's some good B-roll we got, Colin. Did you fly that drone personally? That looks so good. Mm, hmm mm. You know what? I want to address something else. It's not Auburn-related. It is NIL-related, though. I guess I'll weave it in the show here. Several of you hit me up and said, are you going to talk about this John Ruiz life wallet Miami NIL thing? Maybe I will Tuesday. I, did some ta- I, I made some calls about this today. Well, I was considering putting it in the show. There was a report out about federal investigation and all that stuff. So out of my lane of expertise, so I always have to call in my experts, my legal experts, the Dan Lusts of the world, for example although I didn't get to talk to him today. Um, Based on what I can gather, I don't think the story is nearly as bad for Miami as it sounds. I do think it's kind of a black eye. I don't think it's nearly as bad for them as it sounds. Now, having said that, I'm not sure enough of that to do a segment on the show tonight. In fact, look at my hand. It's not really shaking that much, but you get the point. If you're listening on podcast, I'm just a little too unsure of it. As Mimo always said, one of the best skills a man could ever develop is the willingness to say, I don't know. I don't know. At least not tonight, I don't. But I did want to address it because I knew a lot of you, if I didn't address it, were going to say I was running interference from Mario. You know how much he pays me on retainer per month to do that. No, nope, that's not the case. However, I do want to talk to you about another coach, a coach that I had the privilege of sitting down with over the past week. Matt Rule is the head coach at Nebraska. And if you're just joining college football again, yep, that probably is breaking news to you. Matt Rule is a college guy. I've always viewed him as a college guy. And I always want to celebrate on this show when one of our guys comes back to our sport. We, we don't want to celebrate a guy getting fired, but if it has to happen, which it happened with him at Carolina, come back home. Just please come home, Matt. Well, he came home and to Nebraska, no less. So, I sat down with him at Big Ten Media Days last week, and I'm going to talk a lot more about this in just a second. But I did have some sound because I think a lot of you may have missed it because I didn't have time to put it in the show Thursday night. What I always wanted to know from him and finally got to ask him is, why didn't you sit out a year? I always want to know that when coaches jump right back in. And number two, I want to know what kind of people he plans on having around him up there. Luckily, we were able to ask him both questions. Some guys, when they're leaving a job, they want to take a year off and recharge and
0: other guys say no I got plenty of energy I, I don't need that at all where were you just in, in terms of your overall battery yeah I, I think I went into the season knowing that if, if things didn't work out I'd probably take a year off and, and just kind of catch my breath you know get myself mentally right and go back to work and my family right my son was going you know he's going into his senior year we wanted him to finish in Charlotte um but I got fired early and so I had plenty of time and right and so um you know I'm watching college football i talking to you know my buddies and coaching Uh, you know I had time off you know I I had a bunch of Saturdays where I could watch the game and so I wasn't in a rush I just wanted you know I was afforded the time to find the right place and so um, I need to coach I love to coach Um, if I wasn't didn't take a job I probably was gonna coach high school in Charlotte like I love it um, and my family loves it and so we, we jumped at it what kind of characteristics do I have to have if I want to coach for you I think you have to have the same philosophy that I have, and that's that, you know, I want to make sure that every player that plays for us 10, 20, 30 years down the line says, my life's better because I played for them. I don't need coaches who only coach, like, the really talented players. We coach everybody. Um, and, and if the bottom third of our roster is really engaged and feels great, then we'll have a really good team. Uh, if, you, if you have that, then you better just be really, really mentally tough because uh, good enough is never good enough, right? Like, we're going to be critical of everything that we do. And if you're defensive or anything, you're not going to make it real long. Um, and you know, So if you love people and want to help them have good lives, if you're really, really tough and you can work hard, then, then all I ask is that you be a great teacher. Um, if you can do those things, you can be a great football coach. Uh, that, that translates into recruiting. That translates into relationships. It translates into play calling and game day.
1: He didn't belong in the NFL. He belongs with us. It's a we situation. We love a good week. And it's Matt Rule back in college football with us. I have some friends who shan't be named who are Carolina Panther fans who who wanted to speak ill of him. Go ahead. He's not with you anymore. He's with us now. That's a program builder. I asked your opinion of him today, by the way. That's why we're talking about this. And I said, what's your opinion of Matt Rule? we like to use this time of year to gauge the college football public's opinion. And pretty much everyone said, oh, he's a program builder. And some of you followed it up with not crazy about the offensive coordinator he hired, Marcus Satterfield, for the record. Um, I may share that sentiment with you. But you know what? They can go six and six this year and improve on last year. So let's just put the individual 2023 expectations on the shelf for a second. The, uh, the, The opinion of Matt Rule is almost no one has a negative college football opinion of him. And the ones who did have somewhat of a negative opinion, they allowed NFL to creep in. Oh, he was a failure in the NFL. Uh, There are about a hundred different variables in play that determine success or failure in the NFL that don't exist or you have more control of in college football. So I don't care. Either way, I don't care. It is Nebraska. It is Lincoln, Nebraska. It's the big 12. It's not the NFC South anymore. Did you watch him at Temple? You know, he spent 10 years of his coaching career there, by the way, in some capacity. Did you watch him at Baylor? I did not say Bama and USC, by the way. He had the 10-win season at Temple for the first time since the late 70s. You saw the massive turnaround they had at Baylor. And by the way, let's not forget the situation at Baylor he inherited. Program builder. Year two, pretty much everywhere he's been. Now, there are some of us, I'm including myself, that think maybe it doesn't have to be a disastrous year one for him there because of the moves they were able to make in the portal that didn't used to exist as an option. And I've talked to him about that the other day too. If you want that full interview, it's on our YouTube channel. It's not too old. It's not too deep in the archives either. Uh, There is not much guesswork with him, is my point. It's not like he's never coached college ball. It's not like he's 24 years old. Uh, He did it at Temple. He did it at Baylor. He's just going to be somewhere with, hmm, I'd say, a little bit better resource. And at Nebraska, look, if they're going to spend like that to get him, they're certainly going to spend everything they need to spend uh, in terms of the orbiting, the, uh, not the orbit, what in the world does that even mean? The supporting infrastructure. I asked him about that also. So all that's in the interview. But I don't do hot takes on this show, ever. But I got one for you. But I firmly believe this. I think Matt Rule is our next Brian Kelly. I think Matt Rule is the next guy that starts having consistent winning seasons at a program not in the South, I think his skill set transcends any region of this country. I think that it could be that we're about to see him string together some really good years, really productive years at Nebraska. I think he's going to get a real taste for recruiting via NIL and the portal. That seems kind of like what Brian Kelly's doing right now. I think he's got the right attitude to thrive in college football. And that's the kind of attitude that is a total type A alpha that everyone gravitates towards. And everyone views as a leader, but also, if you couldn't tell in that clip we just played, he's also the kind of guy that's he's really good in front of people. He's really good at dealing with people, and I don't mean coaches and players. I mean everything from parents to boosters to a board of regents members to donors. He's really good at that. Now, here's the multi-million dollar question. If I'm right about that, that's part one. Part two is. Does he do that at Nebraska or does he springboard from Nebraska somewhere else? That remains to be seen. First part's got to pan out, but the stock could explode this year. Look at their schedule. What if they have eight wins this year? You know, in other words, what if they do what Nebraska was expected to do the last several years just win the close games? You know, he's got a 47 to 43 record at Temple and Baylor. Temple and Baylor. I have to stress that again to you. Where does he see himself? is the question I keep coming back to with Matt Rule. He's got to get it done first. We, we understand that. I don't need anyone coming in the comment section saying, let's let the guy coach a game first. Okay. Feel free. Um, on this show, sometimes we talk about the future. Sue us. Well, the company. And don't sue the company either. I'm sorry, Jared. Matt Rule is one of the most interesting coaches right now in our sport. Because of where he is at the time he's there and how good pretty much everyone thinks he is. I am, like some of you guys, a little surprised at his offensive coordinator hire. I'll leave it at that because he understands a whole lot more about that than I do. But Marcus Satterfield, I mean, they were... Look, hey, if Marcus Satterfield is a chip on the shoulder kind of guy, it's going to be a good year for him. He will, he will have endless source of motivation uh, because they were, they were kind of you know not so low-key happy to see him leave town at South Carolina Everyone kind of scratched their head when he was hired at Nebraska. We'll see. We will see. They're watching us in Castleberry, Florida, Port Huron, Michigan, and Collierville, Tennessee. Thank you so much for being tuned in. It is going to be, and I cannot stress this enough, it is going to be such a great August around here and a great season. I, I, you live your lives the way you want to, but I know a lot of you are coming back now. Uh, this is your college football show, and I don't tell you to make this the only one you watch but this is the one Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, eight Eastern, seven central. You can't get it live. You got the replay here on the YouTube channel. You got the replay anytime you want to via podcast. And we, um, we make it very easy for you to find either way, but tell your buddies, tell your friends, tell your relatives. It doesn't just have to be the old channel changer. Times have changed. Got some pretty quality coverage over here on the digital media side of the fence too tail kind of wagging the dog here before too much longer in this world. And we appreciate you guys making that happen. Bold predictions are in. We've got four new ones tonight. This is our 23rd chapter of bold predictions. And this first one would probably just implode people's minds if it actually happened. It is possible though. James from St. Cloud, Florida said FSU will play Clemson three times this year. Obviously this is a 9.75 on the boldness scale out of principle alone However, it could happen. We haven't done a JP, Angels in the outfield lately. It could happen. How does it happen? Actually, it's pretty simple, especially in the ACC now, because they don't have division play anymore. So they just take the two top teams. So part one is they play in week four. Let's say Clemson wins that one. Part two, they meet again in the ACC championship game. Let's say FSU wins that one. So they split, regular season conference title game. Uh, That is each other's only loss. And so part three is they go to the playoff, both of them, and they play in either the semifinal or the national title game. Stats and info could not develop odds for me on this. I don't think there's a sports book out there that has odds on teams playing three times in a given year. They're also worried about this in the Big Ten. Ryan Day was talking about it last week at Big Ten Media Days. Harbaugh got asked about it. There's obviously the strong possibility that once you do away with divisions, Anybody you play in conference play, you could play again. And so, if you play, if the two best teams in your conference always play the last week of the regular season, well, you could have a a rematch six days later. And um, that's not necessarily the case here because they play in week four. But how would the committee handle this? This is one of two reasons I have such a high boldness scale on this, boldness rating on this. Number one, it's just flat out hard for it to happen. Number two, both of them have to win all their other games. And then part three is, does the committee stick to their own criteria if this happens? I know they say they will. But if they've each played and won a game against each other, there are going to be several people who talk in microphones for a living. And maybe some people in that committee room that say, well, they've, they've already had their shot. Whichever one has the second best resume. I guess whichever one doesn't win the conference title. Clemson in this scenario. Oh, Clemson already had their shot. We can't run the risk of having a game played for the third time. Sounds like a playoff problem to me. Uh, but I digress. That's a 9.75. Next up, this one would blow some people's minds too. I'm going to make this one a 9.25 on the old boldness scale. Alex from Columbus, Georgia. Said Texas and Texas A&M will have a combined one loss entering November. I hear car tires screeching all over the place. What would this mean? I know not all of you have the schedules memorized. I don't either. That's why I got the helmet grid schedule in front of me. For Texas, before they enter November, they will have played at Bama, at Baylor. Uh, they've they've got Oklahoma, obviously in Dallas. So none of those games are in Austin. All three of their toughest games are away from home before November. Now, as for Texas A&M, this is treacherous. This is very tricky. And that's even if they have a much better team this year. They go to Miami in week two. They have got Auburn. They go against Arkansas in Dallas. They've got Bama at home. They go to Tennessee. And then they got South Carolina at home. So out of all those games, someone's going to lose one and that's it. The other one's going to be undefeated, and then one of them's going to lose one game. This is a 9.5 on the boldness scale for me. Now here is the one ray of hope. Only two of those games I see as these teams being a definite underdog. Texas at Bama, they will definitely be an underdog. It looks like about seven to nine points right now. a uh, and against Bama at home. AM will be an underdog. Won't be a huge one, but they'll be an underdog. a and at Tennessee, I'm very interested because I think that that line could massively fluctuate between now and then. So there is not that one game on these schedules because I got, I got a ton of folks telling me Texas is going to beat Bama outright. Is anyone picking Bama in the game? Bama's a touchdown favorite. Is anyone even picking them? Interesting. We'll talk about that when the time comes. And Bama at a and all you'll be reminded about Is how that game came down to the last play last year. Never mind, Bryce Young didn't play. Came down to the last play last year, and remember what happened last time Bama went to College Station. And remember how tough Bama's had it on the road the last two years. All of these things are valid points, by the way. So just consider what you're saying here. You want chaos in a in a good way? Have Texas and Texas A and M both in the playoff hunt when the first batch of rankings comes out? You're not ready. Some of you think you're ready, but I have been sent here to tell you, not our friend the alien. I have been sent here to tell you, you are not ready for a Texas is back world, especially if Texas A&M is also back in that same world. Trust me, you're not ready. Next up, let's go to the ACC. Clemson's the favorite here. FSU's like right there with them. But over the moon, I assume over is the first name, the is the middle name, and moon's the last name here uh, from Abington, Maryland. The prediction is North Carolina wins the ACC. Wins it. Doesn't play for it. Wins the ACC. This is a nine on the boldness scale for me, which is a little high considering they have the fourth best odds, I think, at the moment to win the conference. Here's my problem. I don't think they're going to be any good defensively. They haven't been, and I don't think they will be again this year. Getting there's one thing. Winning, like whoever you face in that game at that point will be able to play defense themselves to some degree. And so it's tough for me to envision a scenario like if Clemson's there. It's tough for me to envision a scenario where you get that game played in the 40s, which is probably what you'd need to win because, again, in that scenario, Garrett Riley was the good hire, and we've got Kay Klubnick playing at a pretty good level, and Clemson is scoring points, or it's FSU there, and ditto for all that, and Jordan Travis. I don't don't think that North Carolina's winning this conference. Or I don't think it's likely, and therefore I'm making that a nine on the boldness scale. Now they do have Drake May. (laughs) Everybody in the country who has asked their opinion, including Bradley the associate earlier in the office, you ask him, hey, what do you think about North Carolina this year? Well, they got Drake May. Oh, cool. They got Josh Down still? uh, the, the, The subpar defense they had last year lost several pieces. So like, what have we really changed that inspires a ton of confidence in this team with me? sounds like a really negative night for North Carolina. I don't mean it to sound this way. Look, if you want to predict them to win nine games, okay, but they're predicting them to win the conference. We have to be real here. Brandon Walker, who's no show in his own show these days, says I'm never negative towards anyone. Well, how about this harsh dose of reality from North Carolina? They're not winning the conference this year. Next up, how about Georgia? Mr. Gibson from Huntsville, Alabama says, yeah, Georgia's just going to miss the college football playoff. Screeching Tires Part 2. How does this happen? It's pretty straightforward in theory. And that is they lose one regular season game and then they lose in the SEC Championship game. I would guess that's how that goes. Now, that's the easy part. The much more difficult part is picking where it happens. Uh, It is hard to win games. Kirby Smart talks about this all the time and everyone has it go in one ear and out the other. They don't believe him because they think point spreads are gospel, preview magazines are gospel, recruiting rankings are gospel. We believe in all of those things. We also believe that these are 19-year-olds, and the human mind works in fascinating ways. And that's how, when you're playing Missouri last year, you trail by two possessions in the fourth quarter. That's not supposed to happen, and Georgia came back and won the game, but it did happen. Again, they came back and won the game. Georgia missing the playoff is a nine on the boldness scale for me. Missing it? They didn't say they're not going to win the title. They said missing it. Their over under win totals 11 and a half. They got the best odds in the SEC. My guess, even though I kind of tried to build up Ole Miss earlier in the show, it was devil's advocate stuff. I still think the Tennessee game is probably the one they stand the, the best chance of losing. And if they lose that one, I mean, look, my guess is they still go to Atlanta. Uh, that's just a guess. If they don't, ironically, for them to miss out on the playoff, I get, you know, what? Scratch that. I was going to say something, but I'd have to see the rest of the country. They could lose to Tennessee and lose to Bama or lose to LSU or whoever's in Atlanta. Yeah, that could happen. It's, It's not crazy. I mean, I know we build up these preseason favorites. Normally it's Bama people do it with. Now it's Georgia and you just can't ever envision them losing. And then it happens. And then you remember, oh, that's right. What did I suffer from amnesia or something? I've learned this lesson a thousand times before. This is just a thousand one. Now I know what's going to happen. I'm going home next weekend and I will be told that I am trying to overcompensate and trying to offer the negative slant, the glass half empty slant or the chalice half empty slant towards Georgia. I know what awaits me down there, but everybody else, everybody else is coronating you. I have to, I have to be the sandbag to the hot air balloon. So be it. It's still a nine. I still think they're going to make the playoff. I had a question today. Had like a hundred of them actually on both platforms. Probably more like a thousand. I don't want to downplay our engagement with you guys. But I had one question in particular from Michelle. So let me take a sip from the chalice. This is not the kind of liquid they brew in Golden, Colorado, where she's from. But it is strong. Michelle from Golden, Colorado. Beautiful country out there. She hit us up and said, which teams have utilized the transfer portal the most effectively in 2023 and what factors influence whether transfers will be successful or effective within a program? Well, the second part's easy and complicated, Michelle. It's all about fit. I do think the recruiting process in the portal is way different. Every coach I talked to, several of them, I got to go on the record about this last week. Every one of them says it is night and day recruiting a kid out of high school versus recruiting a kid out of the portal. Kurt Fairness was talking about how different it is sitting in the living room of a 10th grader and talking to a guy who's been a four-year starter at a Big 10 program. That that's like talking to your middle school kid versus your broker. It's just not even in the same galaxy. Well, because of that, guys you're getting out of the portal know the questions to ask or at least they know a lot more the questions to ask than a high school kid. High school kid wants to know which sports car am I going to get to take a photo shoot in when I visit your campus? The kid who's been a two-year starter at Purdue at tight end, he wants to know what system you're running. He wants to know a depth situation. He wants to know your nutrition and strength and conditioning. What's your academic plan for me? What does your alumni base look like in my particular field, which is management and business management? They're asking the real questions. And that's why normally when you get a kid out of the portal, it's, it's pretty good in terms of fit. So that's the second part. The first question was, which portal teams have been the best in 2023? I think Kentucky hit a home run in the transfer portal. They upgraded this team, man. And everyone who is watching Will Levis walk out the door thinks otherwise. They went and got Devin Leary from NC State. If he's healthy, I'm a believer he'll be a better college quarterback than Will Levis was. I'm not alone in that opinion. I think they are really happy with him. Ray Davis, the running back from right here at Vanderbilt, is going to be a wonderful addition to that team. Liam Cohen is back as offensive coordinator. I talked to several Kentucky players last week, even some defensive players. Their face just lights up when you ask them about Liam Cohen. They don't even play on that side of the ball, but they know what it's like to practice against him. They, they got, they got Hardaway, too, the, uh, the DB out of Cincy. They made some good moves. They weren't ranked top five or anything like that. They addressed... Their roster needs. They didn't have to completely overhaul it, but they addressed their roster needs. If that offensive line comes together and they added some from the portal and they're moving a lot of guys around, if that offensive line comes together, Kentucky's going to be a really good team this year. Next up, I'll tell you another one that really did a good job UCLA. Talked about them earlier in the show. Sturdivant, the wide receiver out of Cal, probably going to start for him. Carson Steele, the kid with the pet alligator, absolutely going to start at running back. They got a DB from Bowling Green, Jordan Anderson add all that against the backdrop of their quarterback situation. They added some quarterback depth. I think that's eventually what it'll be, depth from the portal, because eventually, and think this is Dante Moore's team, I don't, I don't have any idea if he's ready to start week one. If he's not, they've got Colin Schley out there, for example. Like They've got experienced guys who have started games. They have simultaneously and very quietly and methodically just built the overall caliber of their roster. It's not top five. Again, this is more, a, this is more an in-the-weeds, sort of cerebral approach that Chip Kelly's taken out there. But when, you know, my, you know my Chip Kelly theory. I know a lot of you are coming back because the season's about to start. I think the sport is in a perfect place for Chip Kelly right now. Chip Kelly is not crazy about recruiting. He's not out on the road every single minute of every single day, but he understands talent. He understands how to properly utilize it. And if you can pay for kids, and if you can use the transfer portal and pitch coming to play for me and coming to live in Los Angeles for a little while, the second time around, a a portal recruitment, that appeals. That's going to, you can see it happening right now. They had the number 10 portal class in the country. So I think UCLA is one of those teams. I think LSU, this past cycle, absolutely was one of those teams. Zy Alexander and Deuce Chestnut, we've talked ad nauseum about how they retooled their secondary. We talked to Brian Kelly about it. I thought he was brutally honest about it when we had him on the show at SEC Media Days. I I think it's so incredible that we live in a time where you can like overhaul a position room, almost wholesale, and just use the portal to do it. Now, you're getting kissed from Southeast Louisiana and Syracuse, and I know if you're an Alabama fan or if you're an Auburn fan and you're looking down there and you want to pick... A, you kind of want to find a path past LSU, it's easy to convince yourself, no, you may hit on one of those guys. You can't keep taking kids from that level and just having them all play high caliber SEC football. I think that's valid. It's a case by case thing. I think that's valid. That's fine. But by and large, this is only going to be necessary until they get their roster up to speed and it, it will happen pretty quick because it's LSU. Frankly, it wasn't it wasn't completely over in the ditch to begin with. I know that because they won the West last year. But be that as it may, I think LSU did exactly what they needed to do. Now, they did have a top five class. They had the number two overall class in the transfer portal. It's just It's letting Brian Kelly do what he was always going to do. It's just letting him do it a little bit quicker. I am going to talk about a team that we don't talk about a whole lot on the show. I've been advocating for some of you in the, in the younger demographic, to go watch the 30-for-30 that ESPN did called Pony Excess about SMU way back in the day. It has nothing to do with now. In fact, a lot of what they did to warrant the death penalty is now perfectly legal. So they are getting it done. SMU is getting it done in the transfer portal. I think it's been three consecutive top 20 classes. This one was ranked 13th. They went and got a couple of running backs from Miami and A&M. I I did not even remember they had gotten LJ Johnson from Texas A&M. Until today, I had completely forgotten about that. But also, they're in a position where their name is constantly involved when people are talking about expanding their conference or backfilling. You know, if someone leaves the Big 12 or leaves the Pac 12, SMU is like the first call, and they should be. Uh, it just looks like they're going ahead and getting a head start on getting that roster a little bit deeper and ready for Power Five play. A lot of people think it's inevitable. They'll be in a Power Five conference before too much longer. Uh, Rhett Lashley is there at a good time. And I have never said it's a good time to be the head coach at SMU. It's a good time to be the head coach at SMU right now. I, I was going to mention Auburn, but we already did a whole segment on Auburn. Auburn's, Auburn is one of the big winners in the portal. They signed more four or five star talent out of the portal than anyone. Hugh Freeze got his roster to a level of respectability and able to compete in year one because of the portal. So I didn't want to just do a whole other Auburn segment there. Uh, guys, got a lot of you tuned in. Why don't we already have 1,000 likes on the video? That's me not so kindly asking. I kindly ask, please like the video. Look, I'm making the prayer hands. Please like the video. Thank you so much. <sighs> well, we have a question, and I figure we're going to get it a lot, so we might as well address it now, and we can, we can throw this clip in anyone's face when they ask my thoughts on this. Pat hit us up on Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. by the way. Make sure you're following there. Pat hit us up and said, is it okay to drink the Texas Kool-Aid this year? From Manchester, New Hampshire, no less. Probably an investment banker. Pat, I don't know if it's okay, but I will let you know that I have consumed some. And I feel fine, albeit it is late July. Check back with me again in early October, but I feel fine so far. I think they'll win the Big 12. I think they'll make the college football playoff. Eventually, if not this year. Now, they got to win the Big 12 this year because it's their last year there. They're my favorite to win that conference. I mean, I reserve the right to change my mind. We don't do predictions until mid-August. But as of now, I think they'll win the Big 12 championship, which brings me to my question. What is the needed result here? So everyone's sipping the Texas Kool-Aid and everyone being asked, you know, is Texas going to be back? I promise you we will never say that in a serious manner on this show. But, but is Texas going to come through this year? Are they going to get over the hump? Well, I would love for someone to just go on the record and let me know what that means. If they win 10 games, is that, is that good enough? Do they have to make the Big 12 championship game? Do they have to win it? Do they have to win it and go to the playoff? Do they have to make the championship game or win that? Like How, how, how far do they really have to go this year? Because Short of a national championship, there'll be some small to medium-sized bubble of people who just continue to say, nope, Texas choked. Here's a fun exercise take your own post-it out. I already used the one I have on the desk. If you had to write your prediction in stone about Steve Sarkeesian and the best he'll ever do at Texas right now, what would the stone say? You cannot change it after tonight. So you either have to say, yes, he's going to win a conference title there. Yes, he's going to make the playoff or no, he'll never make the playoff. Would it be yes or no? And every dime you have, every penny you have to your name is on the line. What you saying? I'm saying, yes, he's going to make the playoff. That's what I'm saying. The Bama game is going to be insane this year. Just insane. Texas Kool-Aid. That's when it'll be first put to the test. And it's week two. You don't have to wait long at all. And they're going to go in there and either they win the game and everyone bathes in the Kool-Aid or they lose the game and everyone bails way too early. Either way, it'll be fine. But the Texas-Alabama game is the number one game I'm looking forward to this year because of that, because of how, how much pinball reaction, either way, we're going to have off that one. Th- do, you, do you stop to think about this? I know you can look at the schedule. Colin's showing it to you right now if you're watching. You can see they play food in week one, they go to Alabama in week two, but are you really considering the magnitude of that game? It's a, it's a night game prime time in Bryant-Denny Stadium, and it is a mathematical fact someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. Do you know what a loss for Texas means there? Do you know what a loss for Alabama means there? Now, for Alabama, the win wouldn't be nearly as impactful. It would be tenfold magnitude. The win for Texas? mm mm So, do we see them in the Big 12 championship game this year? Do we see them in the college football playoff? I've gotten some people who say things like, well, if he hasn't done it by now, why would I expect him to do it? What does that mean? A guy in his third year who had to rebuild a lot more than anyone wanted to admit he had to rebuild out there. What does that mean? Well, if he hasn't done it by now, well, he'll just never do it. Hey, Nick Saban hadn't won a conference by year three at Alabama. He won it in year three and and won the national title in the process. How dumb would that have been to say about Nick Saban? Uh, equally, how dumb is it going to be for someone to take away from this that I'm comparing Sark to Nick Saban? I know it'll happen. Um, I, I believe he's going to get it done. So that's where my mind's at here. And it doesn't have to happen this year even for me. But I believe ultimately he'll get it done. I believe there are too many critical factors pointing up out there. I believe they are recruiting too well. I believe Sark is too good an offensive mind. I I think if they don't have staff right yet, they will get staff right. I think you'll get it done. So I'm sipping the Texas Kool-Aid. And I did it last year. Well, excuse me, I didn't. The model sipped the Kool-Aid last year. And the model said, like, Pat Mahomes who? We got Quinn Ewers in Austin, Texas, baby. Well, I did not go along with the model. But this year, me and the model and Sark just the three of us, we'll see what we can accomplish. I know what we can accomplish on this show. Uh, Pretty much whatever we want to because of you. I appreciate it so much. So here's what you need to know. It's go time. That's what you need to know. Three shows a week. It's go time. And we will not stop that until Colin Wynn, like January, when they crown a national champ. So, if you want college football, And you don't want any of the political stuff and you don't want really anything outside of college football that makes you unhappy about life. If you just want to hop in a bubble with us three times a week, this is the place for you. If you don't necessarily love the hot take stuff, if you don't like the same five talking points being regurgitated, if you want a show that celebrates Saturdays instead of celebrating the college football playoff, if you want a show that never calls a game meaningless, if you want a show that does not glorify bowl opt-outs, and I'm just going down the list here, do you love grass more than turf? These sorts of things are celebrated on this program, and we, we have the benefit of working for a company that allows us to present it in very high quality with a lot of fancy bells and whistles. We will be on the road every week this fall. That tour name is coming within the next two weeks. I'm looking very forward to a lot of things in August. As you can tell by the smile, I cannot hide. So. Subscribe to the channel and subscribe to the podcast. That's all you got to do. And it'll be free of charge to you forever. There is no plan you have to sign up for. There is no spam you have to get in your email inbox. Just subscribe and tell your friends to do it. And the higher that number goes, the more and more leeway we get around here. And we are nothing without that leeway. So thank you so much. Hey, producer Grishy has knocked it out of the park. The past two shows. Director Colin just always does that. We know that's happening. Bradley, the associate, back there as well. I'm Josh Bate. Take care. We'll see you Tuesday night. Until then, God bless.